Let's go ahead and uh, begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd watch over us today as we study your word and we learn about who you are uh, from what you reveal about yourself in the Holy Scriptures. Bless our time, bless our study, and grant your Holy Spirit to cre create and sustain faith within us. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. We are... Um, I would request not to put your phone in your pocket. Okay. The whole uh, static noise the entire time. Okay. We can set it there. Would that work? Yeah, that works for you. Okay. Thank you. We, uh, last time, we started getting into our discussion about God, because um, that's where we have to start if we're going to do theology. That's what theology is, the study of God. We talked about how we know that God exists from nature. We know that God exists from our conscience, uh, where across all cultures, people know what's right and wrong. Uh, and then also, uh, the most important way that we know about God is from the Bible. And we talked a little bit about the Bible. Bible and how we uh, know that it's true, and uh, um, now today we're going to kind of continue down that same path, talking about what does the Bible tell us about God, because it's only there in what the Bible tells us about God that we can know uh, who the God is that exists, and what that God um, created us for, and what's his... Uh, idea about our existence. We can only do that, uh, we can only know that if we listen to what God himself tells us, uh, because by nature God is above our understanding, uh, and so it's only in his revelation to us, it must have been pretty loud, <laughs> it's only in his revelation to us that we can then uh, understand who he is. So that's where we're going to start today. Uh, what does the Bible say about who God is? Uh, and we start there with number one, uh, and that's the, the fact that there is only one God. Uh, and that's very clear throughout all the scriptures, and that is something that separates us from a lot of other faith bodies uh, that exist in the world. Uh, for example, you know, uh, Hinduism has thousands and thousands of gods. Um, Mormonism uh, technically has uh, thousands and thousands, in fact, theoretically, an infinite number of gods. Um, or um, uh, some of the other you know, pagan religions, you had the river god, you had the uh, fire god, uh, even the, uh, the Roman and Greek gods, you had Zeus of the thunderbolt, uh, you had uh, uh, Hermes, the messenger god, uh, all that stuff. Uh, we say it's not true because of what God says about himself, um, that there is only one God. And perhaps the most famous of those passages uh, is this one from Deuteronomy 6.4. Uh, somebody want to read that for us? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right. Now... 
Uh, for Jews, this is kind of like their creedal verse. Uh, this is the thing that they um, write on the doors of all their, their houses, uh, that they roll it up and they put it on a little box on the front of their head. Uh, if you go to Israel, uh, all the hotel rooms have these words written right there next to the door. Um, everywhere <laughs> and and this is what they believe here O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one how many gods are there according to that passage one um, and and so there we have the first place where God tells us he's only one God that also is then uh, continued uh, with that 1 Corinthians passage. It's not just the Old Testament that teaches there's one God. It's all of the scriptures together. One God, as it says, 1 Corinthians 8. Somebody want to read that one? Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. There is no God but one. One. So right away from the revelation of Scripture, what God tells us in His Word, we know that all the religions that have more than one God, uh, we disagree with. And we would even go so far as to say they're not worshiping God correctly because they don't believe there's only one God. I know that's not a popular thing to say today, but it's what the Scriptures teach. And so we as Lutherans, because God says it in his word, we're going to say it also. Uh, whether we like it or not, that's what we teach. Now, is there questions about that so far? Okay, because here comes the difficult part of that. God is, there's one God, but number two, you see on your paper, God reveals himself as three distinct persons, um, and that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we call that um, what? Anybody know? Yeah, the triune God, the Holy Trinity, okay? Um, one God in three persons, three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're one God, three persons, three persons and one God. We don't separate the Son into his own person. Um, we don't separate the Father into his own person apart from the other ones. One God, one substance, three distinct persons within that Godhead. Now, why do we teach that? Because it's what? Scripture says, and I always kind of think it is a good defense of our Christian faith. If you were going to make up a God to start a religion, to make money or whatever it is, would you create a God that is one God with three persons and three persons with one God? Was that how you would make it up? Not likely. Not likely. It'd be more likely you'd make up you know, a river god, a fire god, or just some god that floats out there, or, uh, you know, even um, there's some, some modern so-called Christian books like The Shack that confuse this and they don't get this right. Uh, that's more 
more what we would probably come up with if we were inventing a religion. Um, we're not. We're just teaching what Scripture teaches. So we have Deuteronomy 6, the Lord is one. We also have these other passages here. Uh, for example, Matthew 28, 19, which is my confirmation verse. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. Uh, or Matthew 3, would somebody read that one? And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, I think the baptism of Jesus is a good place to see this. Scripture teaches there's one God, and in the baptism of Jesus we have all three persons. We have the Son, Jesus, being baptized in the water. And when he comes out of the water in his baptism, what comes down? That's a dove. <laughs> like my artwork here. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes down. And from heaven there's also the voice of God that says, This is my son. And the reason that God can say this is my son is because he is himself a... I, I have a son. I call him son because I'm his father. Right. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all present right there. And yet at the same time, there's only one God. And, uh, and that's what we teach, believe, and confess. Uh, as hard as it is to understand, um, that's what we believe because that's what the scriptures teach. Now, um, is it something that we can wrap our minds around? No. And so it's something that all we can do is take God at his word and believe, teach, and confess what he says. Uh, I think I mentioned last week some of the smartest Christians that have ever lived have written thousands and thousands of pages on this topic and then said, we just have to take God at his word because we can't explain how it works or what it looks like. Um, and that's what our the foundation then, part one of God is. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. Three persons and one God. Questions about that so far? Um, so I've been trying to teach my little ones who are eight and six. Trying to help them understand the triune God. The best example I can give them, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or if you have a better one here, was... It sounds terrible, but me, I am their father, but I'm also part of the radio, and I'm also a worker at a job. So that's three parts, but I am one person. Now, I know that's not the greatest example, but I'm yeah. trying to help them understand. So when we come across people who are like, how can you believe in the triune God? It doesn't make any sense. Is there a way that we can simply describe to them? I know you just said it's so right. We have to take God at His word, but is is there a better example than than what I'm giving my kids? Well, um, no, there's no good examples because all of them fall short. 
Um, the one that you are, are teaching there, not teaching, talking about there, um, while it helps us to understand, there are those in the history of the church who pushed that to an extreme, uh, and it was called Sabellianism. There you go. And it was by a guy named Sibelius, um, who said, there's only one God, and some days he comes to us in his son hat, some days he comes to us in his father hat, and some days he comes in his spirit hat, but there's only one God. And the trouble is, is that then we have the one substance, but then the three persons are not there. <laughs> And then we have the, the difficult question about things like the baptism of Jesus. How does God do that? How does he put on all the hats at once? And so um, while we might use that sometimes to teach our children, try and explain it to them, there are Christians in history that have pushed that so far that it is actually a heresy. Yeah. Um, there you go, Jim. No. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I will say that when I do tell them that, I say it's not the perfect example. Right. Here's something to help you understand. And I tell them, it's a mystery. Like, right. We, it's just hard to understand. And so they, they do hear that. I'm just hoping that I give them... Right. A, a There's a... How many YouTube watchers are there, right? Okay. <laughs> While you're driving down the street, oh, watching yeah. YouTube, or <laughs> when uh, when your girlfriend is talking about something, you're watching. No, just <laughs> um, there is a YouTube video from a, a guy named Hans Fiene. It's called Lutheran Satire, and it is uh, Donald and Connell meet St. Patrick and talk about the Trinity. And it goes through all those heresies like Sabellianism, uh, which is God puts on the different hats. There's also partialism, where um, uh, God is part son, part father. Um, and the whole point of it is they get to the end and, and St. Patrick finally says, the only way we can talk about it is if we say there's one God and three persons, three persons and one God, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. That's the simplest way we can do it, and yet it still leaves so many questions and mysteries. It's worth watching. If, if I can figure out how to get a TV in here that talks to YouTube, I'll bring it in next week. Um, because uh, it's always good to have a little humor when we learn the Lutheran faith. And that's Lutheran satire's goal, to teach the faith by making fun of things. <laughs> and um, so it's real good. Um, did, I, did I answer? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Now, I, I, I know Jim, I've known Jim since college, and we're friends, so when I call him a heretic, I'm not being mean, I'm just teasing him. And then uh, there's also, at my very first class in the seminary, the professor said, none of you could ever be a heretic because heretics are smart enough to defend their position using scripture and reason. <laughs> and so I'm not a heretic because I'm not smart enough to do that. And I'm just teasing you, Jim. All right. <laughs> All right, uh, other questions? I can dive in one more time. Yeah. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make man our image. It kind of sounds like he's talking, it makes it sound like he's talking to other gods at this point. So and maybe I'm jumping ahead for what you're about to talk about, but it sounds like multiple gods, not one when he's 
sounds like he's talking to himself or something. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a good question, and, and maybe it'd be worth um, just kind of a quick cursory glance. If you have a Bible and want to look at Genesis 1, uh, we could do that. Uh, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And um, not only does it say that, but it says that um, God created the heavens and the earth. And when it says that, it's talking about the Father. And uh, then it says, the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, which is the stuff uh, God made. We have the Spirit there. And then how does God create the things that come into existence? By speaking his word, let there be light, let there be uh, creepy crawly things, let there be animals. Uh, by speaking his word, God calls things into existence. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, we find out that that word that was there in the beginning that God spoke is the Son. And John 1.14, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so even there in the, the, the creation, the very first verses of Genesis, we find out that God is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So then when God says, let us make man in our image, it's this weird thing where God within the Trinity is talking to himself. Um, it also, in Hebrew, is a construction that's called the, uh, the royal we. And this is something we don't understand in America because we don't have kings, right? Um, when a king speaks, like um, Queen Elizabeth, when she speaks uh, on behalf of her nation, Great Britain, she says... We will invade uh, France. Okay, hope she doesn't, but there you go, right? That's the way she speaks on behalf of her nation, too. So that's also a part of it there as well. All right. So we kind of got a little bit into this now. The, right underneath there, uh, under Matthew 3, we have uh, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to God the Father, we ascribe the work of creation, and we'll talk more about that later. To God the Son, He's the one who we ascribe the work of justification, or we sometimes say redemption, saving us from sin. And then the Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification, which is a fancy way of saying, in faith, he makes us holy. And so um, when God, the one God, is dealing with us in terms of providing food and shelter for us, um, he's doing so in terms of God the Father, who is giving us everything we need to support our body and life. It doesn't mean the Son and the Holy Spirit aren't there or a part of it, but primarily God the Father is doing that work. When we speak of uh, the way that we are saved from sin, we are always going to speak then of God the Son or Jesus. 
when we're talking about how we're brought to faith or, or made Christians or uh, living a, a life worthy of God, we're talking in terms of God the Spirit. Uh, this is primarily the way God divides up his work. Uh, and, and that's what scripture teaches too. Uh, and so that's the, the way we talk about it also. Um, only God knows God. He's revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in his word as the triune God, one and three, three and one. The doctrine of the Trinity is far beyond our reason. We simply trust God and his word. Um, and there's some scripture passages there. Uh, I think the most important one is the end of 1 Corinthians 2.11. Somebody want to read that one for us? For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. No one understands or knows God except for God. Just like... No one understands and knows you, really, except for you. Right, well, and God. There is that, that shortcoming in that example, just as there are in all. All right. Did you turn the page there? At the bottom, it should say page 6, I believe. Is that correct? On yours as well? And page 6 there. So we know God is Trinity, and... That's, that's an important thing. What else then do we know about who God is? And there's lots and lots of things here on this page. And, and so we'll start that. We might not get through all of them. Uh, maybe next week we'll have to go and, and uh, uh, pick up some more of these. But uh, let's work on that. Uh, John 4, 24. Did somebody read that one? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, okay? And so that kind of tells us a little bit about who God is. He's spirit um, across all persons of the Godhead except for one person of that Godhead became man, flesh, human, just like us. And, and so otherwise, beyond that, God is spirit, which means he's not the same sort of thing that we are. He's his own unique thing. Questions on that one? We'll get to there when we talk about the incarnation, but that's, that's jumping ahead. So he's his own unique thing, as you just said. So mm -hmm. what does that mean when uh, in Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image? Right. Um... When he says, let us make man in our image, that's a pretty amazing thing because he's talking already knowing that Jesus is going to become man. And so if you were to take all the men, all the, all the people um, that are ever going to be or have been in existence, the man par excellence is Jesus. And Jesus is God, and God is making us to reflect who Jesus is going to be. Does that make sense? Now, what's Jesus that's the image of God that we are not? He's righteous, he's holy, he's perfect, he's sinless. Um, and Adam and Eve, when they're created, they reflect that. 
until Adam and Eve fall into sin. And then right away, when they have their children, um, they have children not in God's image anymore, but in their image. And we're going to get there. That's jumping ahead. All right. Eternal. Uh, Psalm 10, 1 to 2. Somebody read that. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. All right. Um, the Lord is eternal. He is always around. He has been... Well, let's go here. In the beginning, who already existed? God. He had to have existed already because when our world began, he's the one who brought it uh, into existence. And not only that, but God also will exist for how long? Forever without end. As Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, uh, God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end like we do. Um, and we'll never, ever be eternal because all of us have a beginning, but God does not. And it's hard. Well, once again, there's a thing that's hard for us to get our minds around. Do you ever do that when you're a kid? Like try to think of how big infinity was and then you get all dizzy and fall over, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Try it when you go home. Just keep thinking of bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, unchangeable, Malachi 3.6. Let me read that. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I do not change, God says. I do not change. That is good news for us. Okay, and that's why God lets us know that that's the way he is. Because, well, maybe this, have you ever invited like a relative over to stay in your house for a few days and they get there and after the first or second meal, you're like, I wish I never invited them over and I just want them to go home, right? We change your mind about them coming. Imagine if that's the way it was with God. And uh, uh, Pastor Moline gets up into heaven, and then God says, boy, he's really annoying. <laughs> I, I, I'm just tired of him. I'm going to put him in hell here so that I don't have to put up with him. But God doesn't do that. If God says you're going to heaven, you are going to heaven. If God says he loves you, he won't change his mind, right? Um, if... Uh, if God says, I'm going to give you everything you need to support your body and life, that's good news. If God says your sins are forgiven, they are. He won't change his mind. He's unchangeable. He's always the same, uh, especially in relation to us. All right. Um, that next one, Psalm 102, also has to do with eternal. You are the same. Your years have no end. All right, how much time do we have? We've still got a few minutes. Genesis 17. Somebody want to read that one? 
when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. All right. Whoops. Yeah. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared and said to him, I am God who? Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Almighty is a thing uh, that God is, that he's called all the time. And that means that he has all power. Omni is the Latin word for all, and potent is power. Okay? God has all power. He can do anything that he wants to, and he does do anything that he wants to. Um, we see his almighty power in the fact that uh, all the heavens and the earth God brought into existence just by speaking. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing that we can't do. No matter how many times I say, let there be pepperoni pizza with extra cheese, it doesn't happen just because I say so. Which is good, because I weigh 600 pounds, right? Um, God is able to do whatever he wants when he wants to, by his power, on his own authority. He has all power in himself. Questions on any of these ones we've talked about? All right. Let's go on to the next one, which is omniscient. Um, <coughs> somebody want to read the... Oops. John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? I think it's a good passage to talk about this because when Jesus asked John, do you love me? Did Jesus already know the answer? Yeah. That's what omniscient means. God knows everything. When God showed up um, in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned and asked, what did you do? Did he already know? Yeah. Um, God knows all things. This is the same way when you um, kick the soccer ball through the living room window and your dad came home and said, what did you do? He already knew. What's he doing in those instances? Or what did your dad do when he asked you that? Gave you an opportunity to be honest. Gave you an opportunity to be honest, to confess, and be forgiven. Um, maybe your dad, less so than God, but I mean, maybe it involved grounding or buying a new window. That's what God's doing, but he knows everything. Even now, God knows the sin that is in my heart, the thoughts that I have, uh, the things that I do. He knows where I am. Uh, Psalm, I think it's 139 says, he knows when I get up and when I rise, when I go to bed. Um, God knows all things. He knows the way that the molecules in your body work. He knows the way that the sun works. He knows the way gravity works. God knows all. And that's a little bit terrifying, isn't it? 
Uh, we, we have a couple couples here. Um, couples, does the person you're here with know everything about you? Or is there some things deep down that you just kind of keep to yourself? Right? That's the way it is with everybody, so don't feel guilty. <laughs> and everybody's like, I don't want to nod my head. <laughs> God knows those things. <clears throat> That's terrifying, but it's also good news. Because then when God says, you're forgiven, he's even talking about those things that only you know. Um, when God says, I still love you, he still loves you despite all that stuff that no one else knows. Usually the stuff that no one else knows is stuff we don't tell people for a reason because it's not something we're particularly proud of, right? God knows he still loves you. He still rescues you. He still cares for you. All right. Questions about that? Let's do one more. Let's get these omnis out of the way. Uh, one more. Jeremiah 23. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. This is omnipresence. That means God is everywhere. Um, and in the passage here, can man hide himself from God? And the answer is no. Is there a place you can go that God is not there? No. Uh, is there a place in all of existence that God is not there? No. That's how almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing God is. God is everywhere uh, all the time. And once again, that's a thing that is terrifying and yet at the same time comforting. Um, maybe a way to think about how this is comforting is um, should something terrible happen to you, God is there with you even as you deal with that terrible thing. Say, say uh, you drive your car and you miss a turn in the dark uh, or you swerve to miss a deer and your car is knee deep in mud and you can't get out and you're just sitting there. God's there with you. Um, whether you live or die, whether um, it ends up well or not, God's there with you. You're never alone uh, because God is there. That's good news, uh, not just frightening news. Now, somebody might say, if God's there, why doesn't he do something? And we're going to get and talk more about this when we talk about Jesus. Um, in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, God's already done everything to guarantee that no matter what happens to you in this world, you have eternal life with him in a world where bad things won't happen. And to get there, somehow God's going to take us out of this world. And maybe it's driving our car into a lake. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a nursing home uh, falling asleep and not waking up. God will take us out of this world into something that's way better than we can possibly imagine. God's always there and uh, always taking care of us, even if we don't understand or like the way that he is. Uh, 
So I don't know. Omnipresence, questions about anything. Uh, going back just a little bit on page five. Uh, so just before the first Corinthians, um, you don't ever see the term triune or even trinity in the Bible. Where does that come from? Yeah. Um, the word itself is not a scriptural word, um, but what it is is in the early years of the church, meaning the first century or two, Christians are trying to explain who their God is to the world and to each other. And it got to be a real mouthful to say, we believe in the one God and three persons, three persons in one God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen to take away all of our sins. That got to be a real mouthful whenever you're having a conversation about theology. And so <clears throat> we came up with the word Trinity because tree or tri means three and uno means or unum in the Latin is one. Uh, and so we'll put those together and we'll have trin unity. Oops, boy. I'm not really spelling very well today, am I? There we go. <laughs> Good thing I'm standing in front of the chalkboard and so you can't see my misspelling. Try unity and it gets shortened down over time to trinity. And it's a way to say what we're trying to confess without having to go into all the long details so that we can actually have a conversation about it instead of spending more time explaining the Trinity than having conversation about another topic. Other questions? We're going to have to pick up there next week and finish up a little bit of this. Um, there's not a lot, but I'll also have the next week's um, sheets ready as well, but we'll keep plugging away. Let's go ahead and we'll close with the uh, Lord's Prayer, and then uh, those of us who haven't gone to church, we can go to that again. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.